The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 162 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in with us again this week. Uh, Before we get into this week's episode, we do want to thank a a new five-star review that we have on Apple Podcasts. The username is Blaine30. Blaine, thank you so much for your kind words and your five-star review. When people are searching for Latter-day Saint-themed content, the more five-star reviews we have, the more easily we're found. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that. I also want to remind you of uh, another project uh, that we have, and that is the Sharing Time podcast, which is our sister podcast. That's hosted by me and Ken Craig, and we have such a good time doing that. As of the release date of this episode, uh, tomorrow night we will be doing another episode of Sharing Time, and Sharing Time is a little bit different. We actually do it through Facebook Live. So if you follow us on Facebook and make sure to click that you want notifications when we go live, you can join us and chime in. And all the comments that we get while we're talking, we incorporate into the show. We read all of our our listener comments and just have a lot of fun. Uh, Tomorrow night, which is the 6th of April, uh, we will actually be doing our conference review. So again, we'd just love to have you join us there, 7 o'clock Mountain Time. Just search Facebook for uh, sharing time. Okay, this week on the show, my guest, Grady Kerr, is such a fun guy. We had so much fun talking, and you can just feel his energy. He has dedicated his life to helping people to be better teachers, and I totally get it. He's the kind of guy you want to have teaching your class. He's a lot of fun, has a lot of great stories for us, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed sitting down and talking to Grady. And coming up this week in my Latter-day life, an unexpected lesson I learned from conference. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And my guest today here on the Latter-day Lives podcast wants to help you teach the gospel with confidence. Grady Kerr, welcome to the show. Hey, Sean, thanks so much for having me. And I totally do. Um, I'm definitely one of those people that I, I sit uneasy when uh, there's a poor teacher, um, as in like they're not good at teaching, not their monetary status. Um, <laughs> and there's been a few times where I've taught a lesson from the front row. Yeah, I think that a lot of people have had that experience and you do it out of wanting to help. And, uh, you know, it's but it is uncomfortable. So we're going to definitely spend some time talking about that. But first of all, we want to get to know you. Tell us a little bit about your well, I'm going to ask you that the question that I always start with, which is tell us where you're from and where you grew up. But first of all, can we just talk about the sweetest of all names, Grady? I love my name. The sweetest name. Tell us the history of Grady. So my dad, one of his best friends, when I was getting conceived, I guess, um, was named Grady Rayborn. That was his, actually his middle name was Grady, but best friends. And so my family has all G names. My dad is George. My uncle's Greg. I got a brother named Glenn. Like we're all G's. I got a nephew named Grant. Like it's just crazy. And so my dad needed a G name. And since one of his best friends was named Grady, that ended up being my name. And as a kid, I didn't like it very much because it's odd. 
it's different. You don't like you probably know one Grady and it's some guy from high school. Like that's it. Where are you from and where'd you grow up, Grady? So I I grew up and it's always hard when you say where you're from because it really depends on what people know. And so I will say that I am from the Huntington Beach Steak in Southern California. It was wonderful growing up in a steak like that because it was a very close-knit steak. It was a very strong steak, a lot of strong leaders. I mean, we had tons of mission presidents called from our steak. Mm. Yeah, it's a beautiful area. How far were you from the beach? Eight miles. Unbelievable. Just go straight down Magnolia. Yeah, uh, I know that area so well. I can picture it. I miss it. I haven't been there for a little while. So, so tell us what you were like as a kid. What was what were you into when you were younger? I was busy. I think that's the best <laughs> way I can say it. That's a, that's a word that like teachers use to be nice for kids who are really rambunctious. Yes, yes. So, and and it's so weird too because, um. So my son, my son Gavin, he's got ADD, mm. and and you know we kind of thought about it for a while. He finally got him tested. And then I started realizing, because everyone always says that, like, oh, he's just like you, he's just like you, he's just like you. And so finally, I, you know, and, and working from home during COVID, this has always been a thing. I've always had trouble staying on task, focusing on things, mm-hmm. you know. And I was talking with um, with a counselor, and, and I'm like, hey, here's where I'm really struggling. I'm having a hard time here. And he started asking about my childhood, and I'm like, I was a busy kid. And as we dug deeper, he's like, it sounds like you have undiagnosed AD, ADD. And I'm like, oh. And all of a sudden it was like those movies where like you do this flashback to your life and all the dumb things that I was doing as a kid and the goofy things of the spinning and the, you know, spitting on stuff, like all that stuff came back and I'm like, that makes perfect sense. Yes. That's what it was. <laughs> My mom was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm like, did you ever think that mom? Well, yeah. Like, did you ever think about getting me tested? Well, no. <laughs> well, I've, I've got a few years on you, but I went through the exact same thing. I was diagnosed ADD as in, in my adult years. I was in my 30s uh, when I was diagnosed. But even I think for you when you were a kid, it just wasn't that common. It was almost kind of a joke term more than anything. People weren't really diagnosing it or taking it seriously. So we were yeah, busy. It was like. And, and I, and I knew kids that had, and, and, you know, it's, it's a specter of disease, not disease condition. I'll say condition. Yeah, it's a disease. yeah sure. Um, disease has like such a negative connotation with it, but yeah. you know, there it's, it's all under the umbrella now of ADHD. And then there's the, you know, the hyperactive side. I think that's the ones that get like the most attention. Um, and then there is the, like the ADD where it's more, it's not so much hyperactive as much as it is inattentiveness. Yeah. And hard to and focus. That, yeah. And that's where I, I think I was worth most of the time. Mm. Um, and like, I was always the kid growing up who had his desk separated from everybody else. <laughs> like I never sat with other kids. I always sat like by the teacher, by myself, like all of my elementary school years. Awesome. What, 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 what were you into growing up though? What did you do with your friends? Uh, mostly karate. Um, I had, I had a Korean friend named Jimmy Kim. He was awesome. Jonathan Patterson was my other friend. And we would watch a lot of karate movies, a lot of like best of the best John Claude Van Damme stuff. And we would go and do karate all over the neighborhood. Um, we had a clubhouse that we would put together like in his front yard in a tree. And I remember one time we set traps. Um, and, but we forgot to tell Jimmy we had set traps. And so Jimmy goes out to the clubhouse and like trips on all our trip wires and, you know, and gets hurt. I'm like, so it worked. He's like, I got hurt. You idiot. I'm like, oops, <laughs> but it worked. That totally worked. More important. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, and it's a, it's a bad thing too. Cause it was in his own front yard that we did all this stuff. So I feel like it 
like he wasn't even home. We went to go play with him. His mom said he was, you know, studying at the library. So we're like, well, let's go make traps in his front yard. <laughs> I love it. And I take it you were raised in the church through all this. I don't know if I asked you specifically. Yeah. So I was I was born in the church. I was blessed as a baby, but my parents weren't very active in my early years. Mm. Um, in fact, I was blessed by I think my grandpa or my uncle. Mm. Um, and I would say probably when I turned nine is where things really changed for us. I got baptized when I was eight. Um, and I still don't really have a lot of memories, but when I was nine, like when I graduated, like the senior primary, like that era is when I really remember, um, going to church and being there and my parents being active. Um, my dad spent some time not being a member of the church. Mm. And so it was, it was an, an interesting upbringing, um, to then kind of have that pivot, but, at the same time, although we didn't do a lot of the things that a lot of Latter-day Saint families did that I knew, um, it definitely felt like coming home. Like it mm. just felt like we were always supposed to be here. It never felt weird. It never felt like, oh, I've got to change everything. Um, it was just like, okay, this is where I am now. This is, yeah, this is where I should have been the, the whole time. And um, I, I loved going to church as a kid for a long time. Sometimes I didn't. I had my, my stints where I didn't love it. Um, but for the most part, I really did like church. I like I like primary. I was luckily luckily enough to have be good at listening. Um, even though I had trouble paying attention, I can listen to stuff and I can remember things. And so I always loved the stories from the gospel. Mm. You know, when I had a good teacher, like one of my favorite teachers as a kid, as a primary kid, was named Todd Lassig. Um, he was a a pre missionary. So we had this tradition that we were having with our bishops, where they would say, "Okay, eighteen year old young man." You can go to singles ward or you can teach primary. Mm. So he chose primary and he was our primary teacher and it was great. And I remember a lot of the stories that he told and that's where I started to really like understand like, oh, like if I can hear a story, I can remember everything like dates, Mm. begots, begots, begots like that. I can't get that, (laughs) Um, you know, but if someone were to say like, here's what happened, here's how they felt about it. Here's the consequence. I'm like, okay, I got that. I love that. Yeah, it, that's how I connect with people too. So I totally, totally get it. Uh, you get into your teenage years. What was that like uh, being a teenager in the most beautiful place? <laughs> I was I was super blessed. Um, I, I always I always tell people this. Like I I feel I, my heart goes out to people that will say like my life in the church was really hard. I had this mean young women's leader. I had this bishop who didn't care. I had all these problems. I've lived a charmed life. I'll, I'll mm. say that much. Um, when I turned 12, um, we had, a, again, a wonderful bishop that saw the young men's program was not what he needed to be. And so he called Bill Price to be the um, to be the deacon's quorum. I guess it was the second counselor in young second men's counselor, president. Sure. Yeah, yeah. The, the one over deacon's quorum. And our family life at that point, I was just turning 12. And because like my dad hadn't been a member of the church for some time, uh, we were coming, we've been coming back, we've been attending. And when I was about probably 10, um, was where my dad in earnest was like, I got to get my life right. Um, and I remember our amazing home teacher, Jerry startup, he would come over and he would teach my parents, the, um, the temple lessons, mm. getting them ready to come to the temple. And I, and I remember cause like we were always, my dad was, even though he his is participation in church had varied throughout the years. His home teacher was the one way he always remained connected. Mm. He would always make time for his home teacher to come over. And when my parents moved into the house that we were in, my grandpa was living there before and he was moving out. My parents were moving in and he basically grabbed the, the bishop and, you know, put his finger right in his chest 
and said, you better give my son the best home teacher you have, or I'm going to come back and haunt you. <laughs> um, and the, the bishop was like, okay. And so, and that was Jerry's startup. So he, he's like, if I'm going to trust anyone with this, I'm going to trust myself. So he made himself our home teacher and he was our home teacher till he left the ward for probably 15 years. Incredible. And, and it was so great because I remember like not being able to be in the room anymore because they're doing temple things. And I remember kind of sneaking and everyone's like, what are they talking about in there? <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I can't listen to it. So I want to. Yeah. And when we were 11, we went to the, the temple, we went to the LA temple and we were sealed as a family. Beautiful. And so, you know, it was a great experience being there. And I, I remember a lot of those memories of like going into the ceiling room and seeing my dad, and like that smile that he had. Um, and so think about like, you know, about a year being, you know, a, a, a re-endowed member of the church, a sealed member of the church, and and then uh, still kind of being quasi, you know, every once in a while we'd miss and go to the river. And so Bill Price was was praying about who he should have as his counselor or his assistant, assistant deacon's quorum advisor. And um, the name kept coming to his head, Glenn Kerr, who's my dad. And he's like, that guy's barely active. You know, he's just returning to the church. I don't think he's the right one. He's got a huge beard, like, I don't know. Um, And the name kept coming. And so finally he said, all right, I'm going to go to the temple. And if he's supposed to be the person there, then then I will, I'll see him there. Because he was, you know, because we wanted to make sure that there was a good, strong, faithful person leading young men. Um, I always say like the youth is not the place where you help a leader gain their testimony. You put them somewhere else. Yeah. Your strongest people go with the youth. And so there was my dad in the temple with him. Wow. And Bill Price was like, okay, this is the guy. So he talked to the bishop <laughs> and said, okay, I think Glenn Kerr is supposed to be the assistant. And so him and my dad were a solid pair when it came to a youth program. In fact, when I became a teacher, my dad moved up and became the first counselor in the MN's presidency and was the leader there. And so my first four years of being a young man was with my dad. And that was so much fun seeing not only the fun things, like my dad loves to have fun. He's, he, we got, we had boats, we had uh, ATCs growing up. Um, but the funny thing I didn't know my dad was that he had a really strong testimony. It was sitting in quorum meetings on Sunday. And again, I was busy. And so like the phrase that all my friends knew was Grady put a sock in it because I was always having something smart to say. Um, but the but I remember that. And the second thing I always remember is at the end of the lessons when my dad would bear his testimony. And my dad was one of those people that cries a lot when he bears his testimony. When, when like, like we have to have the tissues ready when he gives a blessing because otherwise he will snot all over the top of your head. Um, he just, it just comes out um, when he feels the spirit. And so like getting to hear my dad bear his testimony like every other week was such a huge blessing as a kid. Um, because anytime I, you know, I have trouble or I'm kind of like, what's going on? Like I can come back to like, you know, like, uh, what is it? That movie with, with the memories. Yeah. Uh, Inside Out. Inside Out. That's the one. Yeah. I, it was my brain's broken sometimes. No, but that, no, that, like, that was like, that was one of my core memories was, yeah. was my dad oh, bearing his beautiful. testimony in that room. And it's something I, I often go back to. I love that. Oh, what a great, great time growing up. So you grow up, you see your family all strong, you're loving the gospel, life is good. You get a mission call. Where'd you I, end up serving your mission? I did. I did. Um, I got called to what is now the Bentonville, Arkansas mission. Uh, at the time it was Oklahoma, Tulsa, but rearranging has happened since then. And I was so happy. I I didn't want to go to a foreign country like it was in 1998. That was the era where everyone it was serving in South America. Oh yeah. And they were coming back with these awful stories 
of like, <laughs> you know, showering and buckets and getting held up by, by uh, getting mugged for their, their money. Yeah. And, you know, and, and using machetes to travel through the jungle. I'm like, uh-uh, I don't want any of that. I just want to go on a mission and teach the gospel. And so I told my, my sick president, he's like, how do you feel about languages? I said, I don't think I'll be good at it. I actually got a D in, in Spanish in high school. Um, and so like just enough to get credit. I couldn't even go back on the Spanish too. I was done. And, um, and so I was like, I don't really want to, I, I want to, I want to stay in the, in the States. Awesome. And so, you know, I don't know if he recommended it or if the Lord just heard my heart. Um, but that's where I went. And I was so happy that I did because the experience was, was, was different for me where I didn't have to worry about language and that piece. Um, but I got to have a culture very similar to my own and focus really hard on the gospel aspect. And most other things I was fine. Um, there was not a lot of trials. I had a car, most of my mission, like most of it was, was gospel focused, especially because I was kind of at the, the like the Northern rim of the Bible belt. Yeah. Sure. And so I had to know things and a lot of them, I didn't like they, they, man, they loved Paul. They loved those Pauline epistles <laughs> and they were just boom, boom, boom and hitting that stuff. And I was just like, I, I can't hang with these guys. They know their stuff way better than I do. Right. Um, you know, cause like I said, I know the stories, but I'm not really good at finding references and being like, well, what about in John chapter four, verse eight? Um, and <laughs> it wasn't too long into my mission where I realized it didn't matter at that point. Um, and there was, there was two, two experiences that helped me with this. One of them was elder, I think it was elder Fanua. And we were in district meeting once and elder Fanua, he is a, um, he's a Polynesian. Uh, and he said, and we were kind of giving him a hard time because we were asking about scriptures. Like he, he didn't know like a lot of the books of the scriptures and we probably shouldn't have, um, <laughs> but we were 19 and that's what you do. You what make you fun do. of people. It's yeah. what you do. And so we're making fun of him because he didn't know some of these basic books of the book of Mormon. And he's like, I don't need to know that. Paul and you just have strong testimonies. They don't need the scriptures. <laughs> um, and that was, that was the first thing I'm like, he's not super wrong. He could be more right. But he definitely has a really good point. And then the second thing was when I was with my first companion and we were in a lesson and it was one of those like, hey, will you attract into my friend, um, which is an awful referral to give to a missionary. Don't even do it. Um, <laughs> just go talk to your friends. Um, and so we, 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 we you know, tracked it into him. Oh, you know, you know, this person in the ward too. What do you know? And um, he was very devout um, in his Protestant faith. And so my companion was very excited about challenging this. And so they were going at it. And I was like two months into my mission. Like, and I'm just like, I, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't belong here. And, and they're just like, just arguing. And like, like they're like picking up scriptures and smack, like Bible thumping, like boom, 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 smacking the scriptures. And, and I'm just lost. I'm like, I'm just watching. And it was like an hour. This was going on. It's just Bible bashing back and forth. And people had told me like, oh yeah, you're going to go Bible bash, you know? And then all of a sudden I'm kind of just sitting there as a dumb 19 year old, like, oh, I don't know what's happening. And he's talking about, you know, the first vision and the prophet today. And he looks at me and he goes, you, you've been quiet this whole time. What do you think about this prophet? And I quietly bore my testimony that in this time was that Gordon B. Hinckley was the prophet of the church. Um, part of the reason I have a son named after him. Uh, and I just bore a simple testimony. And I, you know, I said, I know he's a prophet. I hear his words. And I, and I live by the things he tells me and I feel closer to God. And, and I know that Jesus Christ called him to be a prophet mm -hmm. and it was silent and his spirit was there. And I was like, well, this, 
this seems more like what we should be doing as missionaries is bringing the spirit. Mm-hmm. And so my companion says, and that's why you got to read the book of Mormon. And the spirit was gone. <laughs> oh no. And so it like was another, so perfect. It was great. And I was about to actually say like, we're going to, we're going to go now. Uh, before I could, he, he had his amazing quip and, you know, that really showed him it did uh, 45 minutes more of arguing. And the funny thing was, is that after that companion left and I got a new companion, I actually saw that guy like, you know, two months later, he was a FedEx driver and I was, you were knocking on the doorstep and he saw him to the street and we were up on the porch and he calls out to me, Elder Kerr. And I'm like, oh, who knows me out here? <laughs> and I see him and I run out to him and I, and I said, and he was super nice, super friendly. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm like, I wonder if you would treat my companion the same way if you saw him again. <laughs> not a chance. I mean, not a chance. You know, the fruits of the spirit are pretty specific. And uh, winning is not a fruit of the spirit. Winning an mm-hmm. argument doesn't, doesn't get you very far. Uh, what great lessons. Did you actually serve in Bentonville at any point? Um, no, I was I was in. So Bentonville is in the Rogers stake, at least at the time it was. And so I was south of Bentonville in uh, Springdale, Arkansas. Arkansas is one of the most gorgeous places. Um, you know, I've I've flown into Oklahoma and driven out to uh, out to Arkansas. It's it's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. And so green, like, you know, I'll tell you, like Arizona wasn't my first choice to move to. In fact, it wasn't even a choice. It was it was a prompting. Um, I would never have chosen to move out here. And I love it now that I'm here. That, that's yeah. the funny thing about you, know, you listen to the spirit is that you usually end up where you want to be. But um, I don't like the desert. I like that's the only thing I, I don't like about being out here is that it's not very green. I miss the green of being on my mission because although California is still pretty green, California is technically a desert. We just irrigated it really well. Um, <laughs> but, but Arkansas really is a green place. Arkansas, Missouri is where I spent most of my mission in the springtime was Gorgeous. amazing. Yeah. So much green. Um, I, there's a little bit of piece of my heart that just misses that so much. Yeah. And actually for listeners to our show who listen quite a bit, may remember Garth Smith, the amazing pianist and uh, I know incredible. Garth. You know Garth? Yeah, so we seen together in choir when I lived in Orange County. Oh, no kidding. So Garth actually just moved to Arkansas last year from, from uh, San Diego. So yeah, Garth has been on the show. He's a, a dear friend of mine. So that's awesome. Wonderful pianist. Amazing guy. He, how did you guys not start a band, Garth and Grady? <laughs> that would have been all time. Hashtag missed opportunity, man. I know, man, for sure. So you come home from your mission, come back to uh, beautiful California. What came next? So I uh, I went to the single adult ward. Uh, actually, there was two there. There was one. There was so many singles that were like flocking to to uh, Huntington Beach that there was two singles wards. One's was like you know eighteen to twenty four, and then twenty four to too old to be here. Mm-hmm. And I was in the younger ones. I just got home from my mission and, um, and I had a great time. I was again, busy. I was having fun with my friends. Um, I didn't get a job right away. I didn't go to school. Um, all these things I probably should have done, but just, you know, Hey, I think, if you can do that, do it. I, I'm <laughs> all for that. I was having my rum springer and, um, <laughs> and you know, it was just fun. I, I went out with my friends uh, all the time and, uh, you know, when I was, I think, I probably would have just kept doing that, honestly. And I think, I think honestly, in the church, we have a lot of a lot of problems with that. Of these these young men or these, I guess, men at this point on constant rum springa. Yeah. Um, and and I met my my wife who helped me to kind of get my head right. Right. Mm. Um, 
Uh, when she first met me, she didn't even like me though. In fact, um, we were at the singles ward and I had my buddies and, and she was there with her friend and we were sitting at this table. We actually, we were so many of us that we had one bunch at one table, half us at the other and her and her friend sat down at this table and um, her, her friend that she was with um, was kind of chasing after another friend of mine that was at the table with us. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, guys, let's go. So he slowly slid and went back to the other table where the other guys were. And I thought this was pretty smooth. Like no one knows what just happened. <laughs> and she knew. And she was like, that guy's a jerk. In fact, she moved into my ward when I was on a mission. So she knew my dad. Um, her her Sunday school teacher was my old Sunday school teacher. And mm-hmm. it was like, you know, brother Kerr's son's coming home. You should get to know him. He's really handsome. <laughs> um, you know, I, I honestly, I think you guys are going to get married. And then she no met way. me. Yeah. Yeah. And then she met me. She's like, that guy's a jerk. Um, <laughs> and then we kind of got reintroduced each other through Institute, through other mutual friends and just kind of like, well, maybe he's not so bad. And I remember um, we've been dating for a little bit and I didn't have a, still a job yet. And my mom gave me 20 bucks and she's like, you need to take that girl on a real date. Cause we just oh been my gosh. hanging out. Um, and so I took her to see oceans 11 um, and it was pretty soon after that where I was kind of like, I like hanging out with this girl. I got to get some stuff figured out. And so I went and got a job and, and started going back to school again. And we were, we were married 11 months after I got home from my mission. Beautiful. It's awesome. And it's a great place to meet uh, your wife. We, when I was living in Riverside after my mission, we went to all the Huntington beach dances, the dances oh, yeah. for the Huntington beach steak were uh, for single adults were epic. We, we, sometimes we didn't even go to the Riverside ones, but we always went to the Huntington beach dances. So. Oh yeah. They had a wonderful youth and young adult program growing up. Yeah. So you guys end up getting married uh, and you said you were going back to school. What did you go back to school to study? Uh, no one will believe me when I say this, but criminal justice. I wanted criminal to be a po- justice. Yep. Uh, I wanted to be a police officer. Um, and of course, everyone in my interviews laughed at me, but I just, I, I don't know. I think it's just this part of me that likes right and wrong. Mm. I like, I like rules. Um, and so I thought this would be a really good thing. You know, I get to do good in the community, you know, I get to bust bad guys, but there's a lot of other things that go along with that job that I don't think my personality was a good fit for. Mm. And, um, and so I, I actually had a couple of interviews and they were just kind of like, no, like you smile way too much. <laughs> Did you end up graduating in criminal justice? No, no. I, so I started, I got a job in a restaurant and I started doing well there and getting promoted and, you know, young Grady, who doesn't know a lot of things thought, wow, I'm doing really good at work. I'm going to stop going to school for a little bit mm-hmm. and then took like 10 years off yeah. and never, and I've never, I got my degree. I never finished it because I just, you know, I just always get distracted by like, oh, I've got something new coming on. This must be it. And, and hunkering down and going for it. That's you. And that's you and me both. Totally, totally normal story and the story of a lot of people. So road so, scholars. Hey, <laughs> pretty much. Um, all right. So how did you end up going from California to Arizona? Uh, so uh, during the, the recession, I, I lost my job and I this started the 2008 recession. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Obama. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, was it 2008. I got to do some reverse yeah. math here. It was around then. I mean, it, I it mean, was, yeah, honestly, I mean yeah, it was that, that, that recession. I see. I'm such an old man. I remember 2002, but it wouldn't have been that for you. So, 
you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that far back. Yeah. Um, we never really pulled ourselves out of that one very well. And so definitely like the 2007, 2008 year, we kind of took that other dip. And so I started my own company. I had a window cleaning company and uh, it was going okay, but it was, it was tough. Like, again, I'm busy. And so not always busy in the right ways. And so it was hard for me to be my own boss and hold myself accountable. Mm. And I was, I was bad at it. And so I, I did okay, but never really successful at it. And so we were renting for a long time. And then our landlord was like, Hey, uh, we want to raise the rent and California's got laws, which means that we're not allowed to raise it the amount we want to raise it for a tenant. So we have to kick you out. Okay. And then we were trying to find a place that we had a good deal. And so we're trying to find a place that had everything we had before was in our budget. And um, we actually come out and visited uh, Gilbert, Arizona for the temple open house. We thought, Hey, we've got four kids right now. Let's get them to the temple because we didn't know when another open house would be where they could go through a tour of the inside of the temple. And so we came out here, had a great time, went home. And um, this is now about, about four months later. And I come home and I asked my wife, I said, honey, what do you, or I was leaving for the day. And I said, honey, what do you think about Arizona? And she goes, no. So, uh, fair enough. Uh, and I went to work and I came back home and she, she, she says, I think, it, I think we might be, are supposed to go to Arizona. Wow. Uh, and she had been, you know, thinking about it, pondering about it. The spirit had been working on her. She was going online, doing a little bit of research, talking to friends, you know, from the area, which I, which to her credit, you know, she could have been like, shut up spirit. I don't want to listen to you today. Um, but she, you know, she felt a, a nudge and she went and did the work. And, um, and so it was actually the weekend of general conference. And so I was actually going to be out of town for a, I was a member of the Kiwanis club and I was going to do an event with them. And so I was going to watch the conference from my hotel room. And I said, honey, why don't you watch conference? I'll watch conference. They always talk about like general conference, like have a prayer in your heart, fight, mm-hmm. you know, need an answer. And, and when you watch conference, you'll get your answer. She says, no, I need an answer right now. Oh, okay. That's wow. fine. She's like, we need to pray right now and find out. And I'm like, okay. And so we held hands and we, and we prayed. I remember uh, sitting in my chair because my office was in my bedroom and she sat on the bed and we prayed together and, and we felt like we we're supposed to go. And we asked like, are we supposed to go here? Are we supposed to go to Arizona? And I remember the spirit very strongly was like, you need to go. And you need to gather near the temple. I'm like, Okay. And it's always the hardest thing. If you, um, for those of you who, ha- who have a spouse and you're praying together, you might be able to con- kind of commiserate with me. That idea of we both prayed about a decision that was hard and, and, and very, very uprooting and now have to do like the open your eyes and who talks first. Mm. Who's the person I, like, I feel well this way, but is it just me or is it the spirit? And I don't want to say something contrary to what you're saying. And, um, and so she's like, what do you think? And I'm like, what do you think? She's like, I asked you first. I said, I think we're supposed to go. And she says, I think we're supposed to go too. And so we set to work and we called the, uh, the rat pack group and got like these little module things and put all of our stuff in there and sent it to Arizona. No job, no prospects. No, we're just packing up. Go West pioneers. We were going to Arizona. We were Cortez burning the ships. Like, (laughs) Like I sent all my stuff to, to Chandler, Arizona with no idea what I was going to do. Oh my gosh. Um, I, in hindsight, that was probably not the smartest thing, but I think maybe just sometimes the, the spirit beautiful. pushes on you and you it's just beautiful. do it. Um, and so we lived with my parents for about a month as I was looking for a job and looking for a place to live. And um, about that time, probably about a week and a half after we left our, our uh, home that we were renting, 
living with our parents. My, my daughter, Ginger, had had some health issues during that time. And, um, you know, she had a failure to thrive. She was not walking like she was supposed to. Mm. And um, so we saw a doctor and they had told us that she had a condition called osteopetrosis, which is, it's kind mm. of like osteoporosis is like hollow bones and brittle bones. Petrosis is like rock. It's the, it's the solid bones that actually fill in and choke out all of your marrow. And you usually end up passing away around two years old from some sort of autoimmune issue. Oh my and gosh. so we were real concerned. And, um, and I remember talking with my mom and, and letting her know, like you couldn't keep it a secret because I'm living in her house. And we're in the kitchen and I'm talking to her and I'm just like, hey, mom, this is, this is the news that we got today. I, I just want to make sure that you knew what was going on. You know, and we're kind of talking together and, and my mom goes, well, are you still going to move? And I thought for a second, I said, well, yeah, we're supposed to move. Like the Lord knew what the situation was, we're going to go. And it was interesting. My wife like, came home and like, so the doctor says we're crazy. I'm like, why? Well, he says, this is going to be a hard uh, experience. You're going to need family and friends close by. And uh, to help you with this, because she's going to have to, you know, be isolated. And, um, and they said, do you have friends in your body? She goes, well, yes, we're moving to Arizona. Oh, do you have friends there? No. Do you have family there? No. You shouldn't do that. Okay. And she came home and she's like, we're still doing it. And uh, so I was happy that she felt the same way. And so we, wow. we, we got to work and we were looking for bone marrow uh, matches and all this work in the meantime. And um, I finally had done some interviews and I had, gotten hired at a place uh, now called Keep. I'm super grateful to that company for all the opportunities it's given me. But I also um, found a place for us to live. I, I got a home, honey. We, like, we rented a sign on scene. I had a friend who was a real estate agent, did like a you know FaceTime tour. And, um, and then after that, uh, I said, I got great news. And she said, I got great news too. Okay, well, I'll go first. And I said, I got found a place to live. And she goes, Ginger's not sick. And I'm like, you win. Um, I don't, and so I don't know what? what happened, but they're like, like, we don't know what's going on. Um, what we thought she had and all the things that told us that it was that the, the blood test doesn't show that. And so, uh, we don't quite know what it is yet, but it's, it's not that. And even though she like, she had all the markers for it and all, all the indicators. And, um, and so uh, we, we were like, wow. okay, like this is our, this is our sign like that, you know, I don't know if it, she was sick and she was better or if it was a mistake. I just don't know. Um, but I, I'm just thinking that I hope that our faith was was seen by the Lord and he sought reason to bless us because um, all of a sudden she started getting stronger. She started get, uh, getting ready to walk, started putting on weight. Um, things were changing. She's still got a little bit of things going on. She's got like a lazy eye. Um, but for the most part, um, My goodness. she's a happy little girl, seven years old, and we we count our blessings. And, and so like, it's one of those things where we, we just know we're supposed to be here. Grady, that is amazing. I, what a beautiful story of faith. I love that. How did you get into teaching about teaching? Because first of all, you have a whole course we should tell people. And, and if they're interested in dying to know more about you, the very difficult website, it's called gradykerr.com. G-R-A-D-Y-K-E-R-R. It's literally just your name. Uh, but you have been on just about every show, YouTube channel, podcast, whatever. And, and your big message is helping people to be better teachers, better learners, helping the church to function more smoothly. Uh, talk talk about how you got into all this. I think that the, really the, the trigger point for me was when I was back in, in uh, California, I got called to be the first counselor in the Sunday school presidency. Mm. 
Um, the reason that I got that honor is because I was a ward missionary before that, and I was even bad at that calling. And so <laughs> I joke, but um, usually Sunday school presidencies was where you stick people. Sure. And, um, and so I, yeah, it was, yeah. and sometimes still is, but I was there and I was like, okay, cool. And, you know, they kind of told me like, Hey, you got to ring the bell, pass out the roll. Okay. I'm like, yeah, man, this is easy. And um, then the state pres, the state Sunday school president came around. Um, ironically is now as counselor in the state presidency in that stake. And he said, Hey, um, we're going to have a training for Sunday school presidents to teach how you do your calling. And I'm like, okay, I'm down. I want, I want to do a good job. And so I told my Sunday school president, I'm like, Hey, there's a training coming up. He goes, I don't want to go to that. Okay. Well, can I go? Yeah, you can go. So I go and it was great. And they talked about the true calling of Sunday school president. The idea of being responsible for teaching for the entire ward, not just in callings, but in homes, like your job is to foster good teaching for all the members in every aspect of their church experience. Like, wow, this is actually a really big responsibility. The calling literally says oversee all teaching. I I was in stake Sunday school presidency for about five years. Oversee all teaching in the ward. Any teaching that happens within the ward, you're supposed to be the teacher guy. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. And so they, they had like ideas and thoughts like you should be doing teaching courses and help people be better, help them find resources. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll do my calling. So I, I go to our Sunday school president and go, hey, I got a whole bunch of cool ideas from the, from the, from the uh, training I went to. And here's all the things I think we should do. And he goes, look, when I got this calling, they told me to ring the bell, pass out the roll. That's all I want to do. I'm like, uh, okay. All right. Mm, all right. Heartbreaking. Uh, and so I, I went to talk to my bishop, not to like tell on him or anything like that, but I just went like, Bishop, I'm, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this situation. Here's what I learned. Here's what I feel motivated to do, but here's my roadblock. What do I do? And he goes, uh, just wait. Like the next Sunday I was called as president. Um, and the guy was released. And it was fun, like helping people get better at teaching. And I enjoyed it. And I realized that like I have a tough time in a class and, and we're all figuring things out in the church. We're all volunteers. Um, there's people that are trying their best and I've got all the patience in the world for someone willing to try. Yeah, Man, there are some people phoning this thing in and that's where I really like, I was just frustrated with that idea. And I'm like, this is not how the gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to be taught. This is not a passive casual thing. And so for anyone who was teetering on the edge of like, which way do I go? I wanted to make sure I had good resources and ideas and thoughts for someone to say, hey, you can do this. Even if you don't feel confident in teaching, it honestly isn't that hard um, and it can be done. And so I put together some some resources and I, and I dedicated a lot of my blog to that. I actually used to run a podcast all about teaching for the presence of the church, where I would have guests on and we would talk about the lesson. And, and the idea was, I know that elders quorum often is the area that struggles the most with teachers. Yeah. Like I, I was in those classes, like the, the, the singles ward movie where that, you know, they, who has the, who has the lesson this Sunday? Oh, I don't have it. You have it. Does anyone have a manual? Nobody. Okay. Like, like that was the experience that, that I was right. going through. It happens. And I was like, okay, how can I help? What can I do? And so I started teaching this podcast and it was fun and people reaching out to me. They're like, oh, I, I appreciate what you're sharing. Like one person's like, I played your podcast for my lesson. I'm like, stop that. I'm flattered, but don't do it that way. Like I'm supposed to be helping you get ideas. I'm not your teacher. Um, and then they like, oh, I shared excerpts from the from the thing. I'm like, okay, yes, please do that. That's fine. Um, and so I'm like, okay, there's still room here to help. And so for me, I just I like teaching myself. I, that's why I do it for my professional job now. I teach people technology, um, and I love teaching in my own home. And so my blog has been my place where I've when I've got like a a thing itching, 
And I'm like, this is a problem. Someone's got to do something about this. And I go and I go to my blog and I do something about it. And your and, blog is so fun. The posts are fun. A lot of times I think people get stuck in their minds of, hey, I want to, I want, I want to learn about being a better teacher. And because we've heard bad teachers, we think it's going to be boring to learn about being a better teacher. <laughs> but you make it really fun. Yeah, I I I think the gospel is fun. Now, there's definitely a balance that needs to be stricken. I, I was I was, you know, teaching and I was learning how to be a better teacher through my professional work. And I had a mentor and he says, Grady, you can be funny, but you can't be silly. Mm, like, that's oh. a good line. Okay. And so I kind of got got better at, at balance. Um, because I think a lot of times it helps to break down walls, like just being nice and fun and genuine and funny, um, helps to break down barriers. And when you break down those barriers, the spirit can come in. Um, I remember, uh, it was like my missionary companion that was very adamant about reading the book of Mormon. He did a training once he talked about the walls of Jericho and how nothing can get into that city because of the walls that were put up. But as the people marched around, they did their work, they blew the horns, they shouted, then the walls came down and they were able to get into the city. And many of us have walls up, you know, sometimes we have those walls, like you can't teach me anything, or, you know, I'm in a bad mood today, or this class is boring. All those things that cause us to put up walls. How do we get people to bring down those walls so that the spirit can come in? And for me, for my skill set, I feel like humor is one of the things that I use. I think like John, by the way, is a wonderful example of that. He does a great sure. job of, bringing in humor and fun, but still teaching the gospel. Like there are things that I remember from the book of Mormon because of his talks on the book of Mormon. Um, and I know it only because of his talk, you know? And so for me, I want to make sure that learning the gospel was fun um, and relatable. That is just awesome. If people go to your website, they have the opportunity to sign up for five days to be a better gospel teacher. What, what is that experience? What should people expect if they go in, they give you the name and, and email and, what should they expect from there? So what that does is it basically just drips out every day a new email with some prompts and and one of our, our lessons really designed to help with different aspects of teaching. There are some on uh, lesson preparation. Um, there are some on, on teaching the, the people you are assigned to and understanding what they need. Just little things like that. Um, you know, a lot of the things that I pull are from official church resources because mm. the church has done a really good job providing us with resources. I think just as people, we struggled with implementing um, those things. And so I, I try my best to be a vehicle to kind of bring people to that that content. So I, I borrow a lot from official church publications. I love that. So I am very comfortable teaching. I've done quite a bit of it and it's great. And then all of a sudden it's, uh, hey, you need to be teaching in your home. And man, when I'm standing in front of a group, I am as comfortable as can be, but somehow home study, and I think a lot of people are struggling with this. Do you have any kind of tips? You you hear from a lot of people going, Grady, I don't know how to teach. What tips do you have for people who are struggling to teach in their own homes? That was one of my biggest like panic moments as, as someone who just, you just, I, I'm an, I try to be a nice person at least. So I think I am. Um, in my biggest panic moments was when we went to home church, I, I realized there was going to be some blessings. And for some families, it was going to be an amazing experience, but I also realized for a lot of families, this was going to be a struggle. Yeah. Um, and for even some of those families that it struggled, probably going to be a breaking point for them. And so I thought, what, what can I do? How can I figure this out? So I put together a blog post 
Um, it's not part of the series, but it is on the homepage um, from our recent posts all about um, teaching the gospel in your home during COVID. It was, it was aligned towards sacrament meeting. Um, and some people are going back to church at this point. Some people aren't. And so whether you're there or not, the principles remain the same, which is, is being able to be a good teacher in the home. Um, people ask, like, I, I've struggled with some of these things because I don't know when family night is anymore. Like, do I do a Monday family night? Do I not? Because um, what happened for us, and this was an interesting thing. Another state Sunday school president um, was teaching me when I, I was in, I think, an elder corn presidency about teaching. And he was saying that, you know, we need to be prepared to study, come follow me in the home. And this was seven years ago. Wow. And I'm like, you're crazy. How could we ever do a come follow me lesson in our houses? That's nuts. Um, you know, and we, and we were doing pretty good about scripture study. We would read scriptures. We had little prompts um, and we were reading through, we had the, like the, the book of Mormon for Latter-day Saint families is a great series with our other books as well. Um, and this was a big change up for us, but we leaned in and we tried our big goal was to have the kids to read on their own. And we've got a, a wide variety of kids that have different skill levels and different reading sure. abilities. Some of them we read with them. Some of them we gave them like, you know, the friend. Some of them we gave them like the Book of Mormon reader when it was Book of Mormon year. Um, you know, we try to go, you know, go to their their ability. But then every night we come together and we talk about things. And honestly, like last night, we read four verses. But we spent a half hour talking all about the armor of God. Um, with the kids and, and because we try to take it to their level, honestly, like I do very little talking. I do a lot of asking um, and I get them involved. I would say the thing that we probably get stuck on a lot is that, and this happens even in traditional teaching is that we get stuck that we think that we have to say everything mm. um, and we get stuck. I mean, you don't like uncomfortable silence. And so getting to that point where you can have kids involved in the process, your wife involved in the process or your, your husband, um, and then start asking more questions, give people a chance to say, Hey, what did you, what did you learn this morning? What stood out to you? In fact, last night, our, our 10 year old son said, Hey, can I lead tonight? And I'm like, yeah, totally dude. So we, we do ours on the Xbox, um, because Xbox has a gospel library application on there. Sweet. And so we pull it up on the, on our, you know, 65 inch TV and we read the scriptures on the Xbox. And so we, I give him the controller and it's an Xbox controller. So that's fun. And, and he let out and he did a great job. He asked people questions, asked people to read, um, you know, and I kind of guided him and helped a little bit. And as things kind of got stale, I kind of jumped in and focused the conversation a little bit. But that idea of getting the kids involved in the conversation um, really helped us out. And I think the second thing is consistency. And that's where I really struggle. Uh, we just took a, two, a week of vacation. I don't think we studied the scriptures once. And so I don't, I don't want anyone to think that I've got this all nailed down and I'm perfect. I'm not. Um, I'm trying my best and trying to figure this whole thing out. And I like to share what I've, the things I have done that have, that have gone well. Um, but consistency is one of the hardest things. Um, I like setting a time for it. That seems to work well for me. Your family might be different, but, but if you can be consistent and make it casual in conversation when it comes to teaching in the home, um, I think you'll find a lot more that everyone wants to be involved in it um, and, and have fun. We've done nights where we dress up like and do scripture stories in, in costumes um, we've done it where we, you know, just read it as a script. We watch videos on YouTube. Um, you know, we, we once, I don't every night, that's a lot for every night, but at least like once a week, we try to do something a little bit more involved, but it's, it's working for us. And, and I feel like my kids are understanding the gospel. My daughter who's seven has wonderful insights on the gospel. Mm. She's one of those ones that like, she says things and I'm like, yeah, like a, a couple of Sundays ago, she whispers to me during sacrament. He goes, is that, 
white sheet on the table supposed to look like Jesus's body. And she's talking about the sacrament. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, what do you think? And she goes, I think it is. I said, well, why? Because we're supposed to remember him right now. Mm. And these things that she's just able to connect because she sees mom and dad talking. She sees her brothers talking and being a kid naturally close to the spirit. Um, I think it helps to just put them in a realm where they can hear and listen. I, I was really impressed by President Nelson's talk a few years ago, talking about how it will be impossible to survive spiritually unless you understand how to receive revelation. And so that's how we really change our approach was you guys read, you guys take notes, you guys get inspired. And then we'll, we'll talk about what inspired us that day, what we did about what we learned. And so it really is more of a check-in than it is a scripture study. Oh, great. What I love is you make it sound as easy as it actually is. I think in my own head, and I think for a lot of us, it's so complicated and we almost get paralysis by analysis, like what chapter are we supposed to be on and what, what verse it. And the truth is just do it, just do it, just, just do it, it. it, do it wrong at first, do it, but yeah. do it, just go do it. And you'll figure out. And every family is so different with schedules and ages. And I just, I love it. And I highly recommend that our listeners go check out gradykerr.com. And there are all kinds of great blog posts there. There's the five days to being a better teacher. And there's some really entertaining stuff. Plus, like I said, you've been on darn near every podcast, video series, whatever. And there's all kinds of content where people can find you. Uh, other than gradykerr.com, is there anywhere you want to send people? Yeah, like check me out on the socials. Um, Grady8080, it's 8080, um, is my handle for just about everything. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Xbox, if you want a game. Um, <laughs> I, I love Minecraft. Um, love it. Pinterest, yeah, Grady8080 will get you connected with me. Uh, this and if, is and if you connect, let me know that you found me on Latter-day Lives. That way I know this is worth my time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go make up a whole bunch of profiles and just reach out so you'll think it was, so you'll think it was worth it. So uh, this has been absolutely fantastic, Grady. I love it. Uh, we're going to wrap things up with the question we ask all of our guests, and that is, uh, what does being a member of the church mean to you? I think, you know, you, you, you asked me this, you kind of gave me a hint this was coming and then we went rolling, and so I forgot all about it. But <laughs> as, I, as I think about it, the, the, the phrase that comes back to me is who I am. Like, it is such a big part of, of who I am as, as a member of the church, um, especially because being a member of the church is what gives me access to the covenants that help me to return to Jesus Christ and be close to him. Um, it's, it, it's, it's who I am. Um, even though my... my I wasn't like, you know, raised in the church in the early age. It was a big part of my life. And then from nine o'clock, nine years old on, it's been a big part of my life. And, and I've worked hard to make it part of our, our family's life. And it has so much influence in what I do and who I am. As mm -hmm. I make choices, I think about the covenants that I've made and say, you know what, this probably isn't the best thing to be doing because, you know, you just went to the temple and some of the promises you made was to be honest with other people. Um, and to be kind, to be Christ-like. You probably shouldn't say these things about other people. It, it helps me to be my best self and the, and the, and the kind of help me in, as a guide to course correct. Um, and of course, like I said, those covenants that, you know, I get to be with my wife and my kids forever. Um, I think that a lot of times as a culture, we have almost like a, a defeatist or fatalist philosophy of like, well, if I'm good enough to get there, um, and I am one of those people who's hopeful. That was one of the things I learned being a missionary 
in the Bible Belt is the hope that's found in Jesus Christ mm. and the confidence that we can find to say, I'm going to get there. I'm going to try my best and do everything I can. And I trust Jesus Christ that his atonement is real. And I will be there with my family if I just keep doing my best. He is a husband, a father, a speaker, a blogger, a master teacher, and an all-around good man. Grady Kerr, thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. We appreciate it. It was a pleasure. And my special thanks to my guest, Grady Kerr. Grady is so much fun. I had such a good time just getting to know him. His uh, spirit, his enthusiasm is just awesome. Thank you so much, Grady. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life, I'm sure I was thinking about the same thing a lot of you were thinking about, conference and Easter weekend and family and all of those things that are so important. And uh, I had a really unique experience. I think there are things that we all seek answers for, and we're told to go into conference with a question in our hearts. And I did. I had a question. I had something I was praying about in my life, and I was open to answers and looking for answers. And then there are other things in our lives that we just accept. And I think, I don't know about you, but sometimes I carry guilt. I carry a lot of guilt. And there are things that we just, stories, I guess, that we tell ourselves, things that we feel guilty about. And sometimes when we hear a talk in church or in conference, it'll stir up those feelings of guilt. Like maybe it was a calling that we held that we didn't feel like we executed well or maybe it was a ministering assignment, or maybe it was dealing with family and or how we've treated somebody or in our marriage, or it could be any number of things. And when we hear it spoken about, we automatically go to that dark place where we think, gosh, I really wish I could do this one thing over or, you know, just get some kind of redo. And we feel guilty. And as I was watching conference this weekend, uh, there was a talk that was being given pertaining to something that I carry some guilt about, that I don't feel like, even though I gave it my all and did the best job I could, I've just always felt like I fell short in this particular area. And it's not something I was praying about or thinking about. For me, it was a closed case. It was something in the past. It was a done deal. And uh, I did my best, but I failed. And I carry that with me. And here was a talk that was referring to Uh, this particular thing in my life, this portion of my life. And they were talking about it. And immediately in my head, I went to that place. I just went, yep, darn it, I could have done better. It's not that I failed. It's not even that I failed. It's just, oh, if I had to do it over again, I'm sure that I could do better. And those thoughts just came to me. And it took me down this dark rabbit hole. And all of a sudden, I was standing in my kitchen, (laughs) watching conference, and all of a sudden the Spirit said, you did this well. And it was so overwhelming to me. There have been just very few times that I've had the sacred experience of of hearing the, the voice of the Spirit, hearing it in words, and the words were, you did this well. And it instantly yanked me out of that dark space. And the Spirit testified of it, and I'm not going to argue with that. And I suddenly had tears streaming down my face. As I feel like I've just carried this for so long, and the tears just kept running, and my wife looked at me surprised, because this wasn't the kind of talk where you normally cry. It was a pretty pretty straightforward talk. And the crying turned to sobbing. 
as my Heavenly Father told me that my effort in this area was acceptable and that it was time for me to move forward and to let it go. What a beautiful gift to get on Easter weekend. To understand that my efforts don't have to be perfect. That I have to do everything I can, and in this situation, I did everything that I could. And to know that Heavenly Father has deemed it that I did it well. I couldn't talk for about four or five minutes as I just sat there crying. What a blessing it was. I couldn't even talk about it until later to explain to my wife. Like, I'm crying like an idiot in the middle of this. It was a very good talk, but it's not the kind of talk that would normally make you cry. It wasn't what I prayed for. In fact, I still don't know that I've got an answer to what I've prayed for. I need to go back and study. But it was an answer I've needed for a very long time to put my heart at peace. And that's what the gospel is. That's what God does for us. He will give us what we want, but he gives us what we need. What we don't even know that we need. I didn't know that I needed that. But it completely changed my weekend. Heavenly Father is there for us. That is what Easter is. It is a resurrection. It is despite our death, despite all of our falling short, it is that resurrection that brings us back. It is the atonement of Jesus Christ through which all things are possible. And I just got so much hope this weekend from that. And it was so shocking to me. But it gives me hope that one day, despite all of my major shortcomings, and there are so many, that I'll be able to appear before my Heavenly Father and that He will look on me and He will say, you have done that well. Brothers and sisters, let's keep doing this well. Let's keep doing our best. I know that he is my Savior, and I know God loves me, and I'm grateful for it every day. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you enjoy the show, if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen, it sure does help people to find our podcast. If you want to reach out to me, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. Please feel free to send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>